0: This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Hi, family. We have got a great testimony for us to hear today. A man by the name of Howard Pittman died and went to heaven. He was dead for 15 minutes. And in that time, he saw Christians going into heaven, he spoke to Jesus, and the Lord gave him a message for Christians specifically, and sent him back to earth to deliver that to us. So today we're going to hear this message. It's going to be challenging, and after the message is done, I'll come back and we will evaluate what we've heard together. All right, God bless you. Enjoy the video.
1: So I just wanna give a little context for the video you're about to see with Howard Pittman. Um, I actually flew out to meet with him in June of 2015. On August 3rd, 1979, he had a physical attack in his body where a major artery erupted, erupted and they basically judged him to be clinically dead. It was the encounter that he had after that when his spirit left his body. I first saw Howard Pittman on the 700 Club in 1980. I actually reached out to CBN to see if they could find that old footage. They were unable to, but it was riveting. There's something about when someone has had a near-death experience that's very genuine that grabs you. So this, this, is, uh, this has some intense subject matter. It's very disturbing. There's nothing I've found that Howard Pittman has said that is not biblical, but it certainly flies in the face of religious tradition. He was a bivocational pastor. He was a law enforcement officer. He was a good man and a moral man and has children of his own biologically. He's gone to be with the Lord now in 2019. But they adopted, I believe, 32 foster children through their care. Good people and yet... When he left his body and the Lord began to encounter him, he said his life was an abomination because he served him in a pharisaical fashion of dead works. So there's so much more that I could say, but I wanted you to understand the context. It is one of the most riveting things. I could say a lot more, but I want to have you be able to get right into the video. And I trust that it'll be a blessing to you. Okay, Brother Howard, I thought if we could just start from the beginning, and uh, you had an encounter where something physically happened. Could you share that story with us?
2: Yeah, this was uh, August, on August 3rd, 1979. I was involved at that time in a political campaign. I was running for sheriff, criminal sheriff, office of criminal sheriff, and um, there was about seven of us in the race. <clears throat> The primary election was going to be held on August 7th, 1979. And on the first day of August, we took a little unofficial poll. According to that poll, I was one of the leading candidates that was going to be involved in that. And uh, uh, there was one particular bank in the community that uh, was very important in politics. And Ida it worked in that bank, and she made an appointment for me with the president and some of the members of the board of directors trying to solicit their support for my campaign. And I went down that morning. I got up. I wasn't sick. wasn't different from any other morning. I was slightly nauseated because of sinus problems. I'd had sinus problems for years, and this is sinus country. Here, it's what they call the pine belt. And uh, the doctor said, there's no allergy like pine allergy, you know. So anyway, uh, I skipped breakfast and went to town uh, to keep my appointment. And when I arrived at the bank, my niece, who worked in the bank, looked out through the plate glass window. She saw me coming. I got out of my car and went across the street. And she got up from her desk and came to the door to greet me. With one hand, she opened the door, and others reached out to greet me. As I stepped in the door, I dropped to my knees, and she grabbed me. What's the matter? I said, I don't know. All of a sudden, I just lost my strength. Something's wrong with me. I canceled my appointment. I'm going back home. I turned around, went back to my car, and sat down. That's when the pain hit me. Like a mule would keep me in the midsection and consume my entire body. So... All I could think of was go home, go home. I was within a mile of the hospital, but I didn't go to the hospital. Instead, I started up my car and I started home. About halfway, I live 11 miles from the bank then, about halfway home, I suddenly stopped breathing. I felt as though my clothes were literally smothering me to death. I break my car right in the stop in the middle of a busy highway. And I felt that my clothes were smothering me. And I started just trying to tear out of them. And somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I realized I had panicked. And when I forcefully calmed myself down, I could breathe. With difficulty, but I could breathe. And I knew I was growing weaker because I was hemorrhaging massively. I was able to start my car, and I made it the rest of the way home. When I got there, <clears throat> no one was home. My wife was going somewhere. The kids was all going to school. But I struggled to get out of the car. Can't, everything's kind of hazy about how long it took me to get out of the car. I just can't. But anyway, I made it in the house and fell on the floor right inside. I hadn't been there very long till she came in. My wife came in. One look. She recognized the gravity situation. She got me up, back out into the car, and rushed me into the town, to the very town I just came from, right up in the family clinic. And just as she parked, one of the doctors pulled in, and parked right in front of us. Well, she ran around, opened the door, and tried to pull me out of the car. By that time, I was so weak I couldn't even lift my hand. I'd lost so much blood. And when she pulled on me, I literally fell out of my car on my face. The doctor stepped out of his car. He saw this. He rushed over to give aid. One look, he knew I was already in shock. Now, they didn't know what had happened to me because I was in shock, but he knew that I was in shock. Later on, they told me what had happened. There is a main artery that runs across the back of the stomach. An ulcer had formed on that artery. They called it silent because it gave me no symptoms. And it had slowly eaten away the wall of that artery until it ballooned out. They call that aneurysm. It just kept on ballooning out till it reached a place that the wall was so thin. The day I stepped in the hospital, I mean, in the bank door, it had reached a place the wall was so thin it couldn't withstand the pressure the heartbeat. It just popped like you popped a balloon. And that was the massive hemorrhage. Well, <clears throat> they, rushed, they called an ambulance. They rushed me from the uh, local hospital, from the local clinic, family clinic, to the local hospital. They kept me there overnight. Next morning, three times during the night, they brought me out of shock. The next morning, my doctor came in and said, we got to move you. We got to have more equipment, we got to have more skilled technicians, we got to have them in a hurry. So we're going to send you to the uh, Regional Medical Center at Macomb, Mississippi." They put me in an ambulance, hooked me up to all that machinery, assigned my wife, allowed my wife to go with us, assigned a paramedic to attend to me, and we took off post-haze. Nineteen miles before we reached that hospital, I lost consciousness. I passed into a world of darkness. I mean, it was so dark that there's no words in the human language to to describe crossing the veil. But I passed out in this darkness. I felt, I really felt abandoned all alone. First time I'd ever experienced that kind of darkness. There was no light. And then all of a sudden, I saw something that come right out of the top of that darkness, and it was like a, a, a tape that was just twirling around like this as it come down. You, you ever seen those confederate, confederate Confederate parades in New York where they throw that confederate out the window and just twirls down. That's what the thing looked like, a single one. And it came and I watched it. It came all the way down right in front of me. I can't tell you how I saw it because I saw it with no light, no light at all. It's total darkness. But I saw this thing, just like this tape. It comes right in front of my eyes and turns just like that three times. And every time it turns, I'm reading it. It's a verse of Scripture, Hebrew chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto all men once to die after this to judgment. It is appointed unto all men once to die after judgment. Three times that thing turned, and three times I read it. When I realized then, this was God's way of supernaturally revealing to me that I had met my appointed time to die. We all know we got dying. But, you know, being human, we have dealt with that. We dealt with it in our subconscious. Actually, in reality, we look at death, physical death, at something that happens to others. It don't happen to others. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. If it didn't, it'd drive us crazy. We just put it out of our mind and keep going. But when you come to the realization that it's not others, it's you, it takes on whole new perspective then. I didn't want to die. I left home to win an election, not to die, to... Uh, die would be total defeat so I prayed a very short and pointed prayer I asked God to extend my life I was familiar with the fact that he had a precedent in his word for extending life of course he extended Hezekiah's life for 15 years and I knew that so I asked him to extend my physical life and then that's when I had the first ever supernatural encounter Out of that vast darkness come the most beautiful voice I've ever heard in my life. There's no music created that would in any way mimic the beauty of that sounding of that voice. As the voice spoke to me, the voice said to me, stop, no more pain, peace. Rest, security, all that you've ever wanted, just don't breathe. I'm breathing by willpower at that point. Every breath, it took all the strength I could get in. And when I got into Arian, it took all the strength I had to get it out. I'm breathing by willpower. And he's telling me, stop, don't breathe. And my spirit was saying to me, listen, God speaking, God speaking, said, don't breathe. And then I got, to, I got to try to shut it down, what I'm doing. And then the realization hit me as though as I screamed as loud as I could in my spirit. No, what am I doing? I just asked God to extend my life. Don't breathe, I'm going to die. You are not God. With that exclamation, Satan fled from me.
1: So this voice, you had just asked the Lord to spare your life, and a beautiful voice said, just let go.
2: Yeah, but look what he said. Listen, you see, just what he said tells what I'd been taught on my security. Security, that's what Baptists teach. Once you save, you save forever, no matter what. That's what they teach. Security. And he used that on me right away. The first thing he used, security, peace, rest, all you've ever wanted, just stop breathing. There in the valley of death at the door, he lied to me. He told me he was God. He couldn't kill me. He had to get me to kill myself. You better know the spirit that speaks to you. We're all going to come to that same place. I call it the veil. The veil is, is not in this world, and it's not in the other world. It's the door between the two. We've all got to go that way. Christians refer to it as crossing Jordan. It's when we pass from this life to the life to come. Once you cross that veil, flesh and blood can't cross it. It can't cross it. So that's when the angels took my spirit out of my body, and we went from darkness to light just like that, out of darkness into light and crossed the veil. I was on the other side. The first thing they brought me to see was a verse of Scripture being acted out like a stage play. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, word cruel. Powers, word cruel. Rulers of the darkness of the world. The menagerie of our enemy. There was this, looked like a long table with all these beings sitting around. The devil himself sets it in, and all these spirits are princes that operate the principalities of the dark world. That's where the warfare plans for spiritual war is actually designed and planned. Satan does nothing without plan. He plans everything. Everything is planned. It's right down to the... let me show you how it works. Every one of those people, uh, not people, spirits sitting at that table, had a principality. He has divided the world into principalities, territories. Over these territories, he puts a prince. Each prince is given as many demon spirits as he needs to carry out his plan for that principality. You take some continents might be one principality because might no threat to the kingdom of darkness where there's no threat, no major threat to the kingdom of darkness. One prince could handle a whole continent, let's But America is many principalities. There's many threats. Even down to an individual could be a principality, depending on what the threat is. But this is how that thing works. As I watched it, <clears throat> they let me see part of a plan that really shook me up because I knew about the plan. I call it a skeleton. It was just an outline, and it was the same identical outline that John was able to see, and he wrote about it in Revelation uh, chapter 13, beginning at verse 7 through 9, and this really shook me up. Revelation, let me get to it, I want to read that. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Revelation 13, 7 through 9. The master plan to capture the world, to capture the church. That's why we've got cotton candy religion today. What is cotton candy religion? Hot air. Doctrines of demons, Paul called. Doctrines of demons are being expounded from the pulpits of so many churches today. He's captured the church, what he said he was going to do. And he's done it. He's already got it. When they brought me, first, they let me see this guy. That's the first thing I saw was this this outline. They let me see that. So John the Baptist wrote about it because I was very weak on spiritual warfare. I'm Southern Baptist. You know, we didn't have too much teaching in that area. Then, in fact, I'd I'd never heard but one sermon in my entire life that ever mentioned the devil. And uh, that was when I was 12 years old, and it scared the devil out of me. So that's when I first came to the church, you see. And then no more. Even in the seminary, he was never mentioned. Didn't mention the devil, didn't mention the demons or anything. It was the ministry of the children that first opened my eyes as we brought these children into our home. Most of them had been used, misused, abused. Uh, for instance, the last, girl, the last child they brought into our home, state rescued her that day. She was locked up in a cage with a cat. She's only 18 months old, this little girl. And that, uh, she, the only thing that they said that she'd had to eat for that solid week was the ins of that cat. And that demon-possessed individual that had that little girl got his jollies off by putting his lighted cigarettes out on the bottom of her feet. You ought to have seen her feet. You see, these, this is not human. Something beyond humanity had to do that. This is not human. And and uh, it was those children, how they had been abused, misused, neglected, and all of them was crying for help. And they came to my house, expecting me to help them, and I was the least prepared person in the world. I had no training in spiritual war at all. I didn't even know, but as I looked at the I knew that there was a force out there far greater than I knew about, and that's the first thing God took me to see. He educated me quickly. He showed me how this is done by design, how spiritual war is done, and how they operate on two emotions in that world, hate and fear. They hate all humans and they fear their boss. There's no love in there at all. And that's why he has enforcer enforcing the, the rules of the satanic world. It is a world without love. There's no love at all there. It is operated by fear and hate. They hate all humans and they fear their boss. They fear him. Now, people. Don't pay any attention to this. But Satan, show you how devious he is, took one-third of the angels of heaven with him in his rebellion. What did that tell you? When you think about this, there's no dummies in the angel corps. And yet he deceived one-third of the angels. How did he do it? This tells about his ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says he's the God of this world. That word God is not a name, it's title. It's translated from the Greek word theos, from which we get our word theology. The definition of English, English in English is divine ruling magistrate high potentate. Think about that. That's his title. Divine means Set apart, put above. Ruling magistrate. Who is a ruling magistrate? One that has authority by law to control the conduct of those under his jurisdiction. That's why Satan says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 25, verse 26, he can take any lost person at will. He's a divine ruling magistrate. Not long ago, I had a lawyer call me from New York. He says, I have a, a man up here charged with murder. He's got a copy of your book, Demons, Eyewitness, and Recount. It says in there, the devil can make people do what he wants. He wants you to come up here and testify that the devil made him do it. I said, well, I, if you send me a subpoena, I'll come up here and testify what the Bible says, just what I wrote, what it says. He says, okay. Two weeks later, he called me back. and He says, I said, he said, I'll get the subpoena. Two weeks later, he called me. I said, the judge, get out of here, man. I ain't opening that can of worms in this court. So, <laughs> But <clears throat> he let me see the God of this world at work. And he is a God. All them people out there serving him, and don't know it. They don't know it. The strongest one are his princes. They're at the top. They're, they're from the giant warring order of demons. They, they, they were actually actually um, uh, a- angels who, who fell with him. And uh, angels are, you know, they got some angels that look like animals, some that looks like birds. They're they all described in the Bible. The and uh, they got the, the guardian angel looks just like a human being. And this is why Revelation says. I mean, um, Hebrews says, when you deal with an- when you deal with strangers, be careful. Many times you deal with angels unaware.
1: Now, Brother Howard, you you good works. You took in abused children. Uh, you were a police officer. You served, but something happened where he said your works weren't acceptable to him.
2: Yes, he says. Um, well, when 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 I stood before him to plead my case, see, the angels brought me there to plead my case, because I all the time I kept asking him, "Is he going to let me live?" I knew that my spirit had been crossed, had crossed the veil. Flesh and blood can't go there, and I knew the only way I could come back, God would have to permit it. the moment. and I kept asking the angels every time. I, I, I still, no matter what I saw, I still was in love with this old piece of clay. And so they brought me there and let me plead. Brought me to the gate. They wouldn't let me, I didn't go in. I came to the gates of the third heaven and, and they, they told me, I watched 50 saints being permi- permitted to enter the gates of heaven, but they didn't let me go in. They said, they, they, they stopped me, the angel stopped me there and says, Well, I got to the gate and he says, If you go in, you can't come out. You've got to stay till he brings you back. I said, if I can't come out, then that means my physical life is over. And you told me I could ask him. Angel said, you can't ask him, but you stand outside this gate and ask him. And so I did. I came, and I I was allowed to plead my case. And I was was pleading to God I couldn't see. But I knew it was total silence while I pled my case. I was telling him. All, I reminded him of all my good works. I told him about all the things that I'd done, all the things that... That's what I was basing on, on my, my good work. I told him about all of that. <clears throat> and when, when I... He was never said a word till I finished. When I finished, then he answered me in a voice that sounded like thunder. It wasn't anything like the voice that Satan had used on him. He says... He started, I'm going to try to quote verbatim exactly what he says. Your faith is dead. Your works are in vain. The life that you lived and offered to me as a life of Christian service is an abomination that I rejected in the Pharisee. What made you think I would accept it from a Laodicean-type Christian? In fact, untold millions are living the same kind of life that you live and they stand in danger of my everlasting wrath, unquote, the living God. I couldn't believe he was talking to me. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I just told him about all my good works, what I'd done, you know. And and, and I said, no, Lord, don't you wait. You don't understand. He said, you didn't do those works for me. You did them for a false god. I said, Lord, I worked for you. I called you Lord every day. Yes, you did, but you never made me Lord. What a difference. To call him Lord gives him a title. To make him Lord promotes him to ruler of life. Who is your Lord? But Lord, I was serving you. No, you wasn't. You served a false god. Then he named him Satan's number one selling false god. S-E-L-F. Instantly. I knew everything he said was true. Had he reached down and picked me up and dropped me in hell, I would have said amen. But I couldn't move. I'm laying on my face in the spirit. I couldn't move. I couldn't move. They came and angels came and took me away. They took me out and let me regain my composure and brought me back and let me plead the second time. Second time, I never opened my mouth. Then he began to talk to me in a compassionate tone as he said to me, Suddenly, I realized, this is my father, and I hurt him. He was hurting for me. The God that created all of this was hurting for me. The smallest insignificant piece of flesh that he had, he was hurting for me. Nothing mattered now. I didn't ask him for my life. I didn't ask him for anything else. But when this life meant nothing, he gave it back. Sent me back to do what I'd done, Pay, give me a five-point message for the church and give me, place two restrictions on it. Restriction one was that I was not to ask anybody to hear this because he was sending me to his church. I didn't know what, it, what was his church, but he knew which one was his church. He was sending me to his church. All I had to do was go wherever I'm asked. When I get an invitation, put it down. Get to it when I can. And if I'm not supposed to go there, he'd close the door. But if he opened the door, no man would close it. And that's where it's been ever since. The five-point message he gave me, the point one, this is, number one point, this is the Laodicean Church Age in which we live today. This is the Laodicean Church Age, where the overwhelming majority of so-called Christians are just that, so-called. They're mouth professors and not heart professors. And unless they wake up, he's going to spew them out of his mouth. He promised to do that, you see. But he gave them a chance. In his word, he gave them a chance. If they wake up, if they wake up. Point number two, your adversary is a personal and powerful adversary, Satan the devil. He is or He is anointed. Point number three, if you ever, ever expect to have any of God's power manifest in your life, you're going to have to live the life. Not talk it, you got to walk it. And point number four, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What he's saying there, keep your eye on the eastern sky because your redemption draweth nigh because we have reached the days of Noah once again. And we look in history and in the Bible to see how it was in the days of Noah. And we see that mankind had but two priorities, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure, wealth and pleasure. Everything else is secondary, that's where it was in the days of Noah. And he said it was going to be that day that way again. And we have reached that state. Point number five. Now, this is one that really, the main one, the one that he sent me back for. And a lot of people can't comprehend this. What he said was, let me go back to Matthew Matthew, in writing, was quoting John the Baptist when he said this in chapter chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will fairly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, so to speak, is going to come with fire. He's going to burn up the chaff in the the Christian. So a lot of people think, that uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidence speaking in uh, in tongues. Well, it it might be. But by the same token, the real evidence is the fire burning the chaff out of the individual. And that's gonna take tribulation.
1: How would you summarize that fifth point then? The fifth point is the the
2: baptism of the Holy Spirit. True baptism of the Holy Spirit. We got some people that come to church and talk in tongues all day and go to the honky tonk first thing Monday morning. You know who they are. You know who they are. But the fire is coming. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit's going to bring fire in the chair for the life of the individual. That's your five points for the church.
1: And that was the message the Lord gave to you. Right. You come right. To share.
2: The five-point message to the church, and I didn't know where the church was, because everything it calls itself is church is not a church.
1: Brother Howard, you talked about you saw a certain amount of people die and enter heaven, but at the same time, how many? What was it the Lord showed you about the people that didn't make heaven?
2: Ninety-seven percent didn't make it. Two thousand. They showed me. His harvest, for 15 minutes, span of time, 15 minutes, span of time. They occurred August 3rd, 1979, from where the paramedic judged my body to be dead until it arrived at the hospital. In that 15 minutes, 50 I, I was allowed to see 50 saints that go into heaven. That was the sum total of his harvest on the planet Earth for 15 minutes, span of time. In that same 15 minutes, 1,900. And, and, and uh, more people died, 950 more died. Only 50 out of 2,000 made it, Two and a half percent. 1⁄2%. Dovetails with just exactly what he said in Matthew 7. For many will say to me in that day, but Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? Have we done many marvelous works in your name? In your name have we done all this work? And he will say, depart from me, and I renew you, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never saved. Not that you were saved one day and turned you back. You, I never knew you. You were never mine. Two and a half percent. Now, they let me see that because on August 3rd, 1979, that was the condition of the planet Earth. Had that been the day the trumpet would have blown so loud it would wake the dead, he would have got two and a half percent of the population of the world. Two and a half percent. He he, tour, he allowed me to tour the second heaven, which is Satan's kingdom. He allowed me to tour the whole kingdom and see the different spirits that 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 he has, and uh, that was the first thing because I was weak. I was weak in, in that training. I uh, you know, sometimes I remember in the seminary we had professors come and tell us one time. Teaching how to go to heaven was like climbing the mountains. They got somebody come up that side, somebody up this side, somebody up this. But when they get there, they're all at the top. Well, right now, that's a doctrine that's very popular in the Christian church. You You know you're a good old boy, you're gonna make it, and all that stuff. God loves you, don't worry about it. Hey, we got the devil under his feet, and he's laughing all the way to the bank.
0: That was Hart Pittman's experience. Let's discuss this video now, his testimony. There's three different categories of people we want to talk about. One, the person who dies without Christ. Two, the foolish virgin. And three, the on-fire wise virgin. Those are the three categories. Now, at the time that he passed, it sounds like he was a foolish virgin. Because the Lord said to him, he is like a Pharisee in his conduct and his works. Which sounds like he's trying to earn his salvation by his good works. Well, we should understand there's only one way we get to heaven. That's by faith in the work that Jesus died on the cross for us. And our testimony should be, Father God, I believe, that Jesus paid the price for my sin. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I believe I am forgiven because my faith is in Jesus for my cleansing and my salvation. Not my good works. Our good works will earn us rewards in heaven. But our faithful salvation cannot be depending on our good works. They don't bring us salvation. If our good works could get us salvation, then Jesus would not have needed to die. If good works could earn salvation, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Old Testament saints would go to heaven for good works only. And that didn't happen. All right. So we understand a person who's not saved clearly, obviously, goes straight to the fires of hell when he does, But the Christian who is cold and hot, lukewarm, a foolish virgin, what happens to them? Well, Matthew 25, Jesus spoke about the foolish virgin and said that they missed the rapture. He said, I never knew you. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, to those who say that, They did these works in his name. I never knew you. Depart from me. It's the same message he gave to those foolish virgins who knocked on the door after he had come and gone. And then when we read Revelation chapter 3, we read about the Laodicean church, which the Lord mentioned to Howard Pittman. And the message to the Laodicean church was, repent from your indifference. The word indifference means don't care attitude. You see, Jesus said if you love me you'll keep my commandments or you'll do what I ask you to do. So what did he ask us to do? Well, number one, he asked us, not asked, he commanded us to go make disciples. That means we need to preach the gospel, testify to people about the Lord wherever we go Look for opportunities to talk about Jesus. And then lead them to Christ. If we don't know how to, find out how to do it. Learn how to do it. And if you still can't do it, bring them to church. Bring them to church anyway. If you read them to Jesus or you don't, invite them to church because they'll get saved in church. And then invite them to go on growth track and then on Christian Growth Seminar and stay with that person, encourage that person, fellowship with them, stay in contact with them, train them to become strong and mature Christians. That's how we disciple people. That's the command of the Lord. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Number one. Then number two, go to church. It's a command of God in Hebrews 10 that we go to church, especially now that we see the day of His Return approaching. All right, go to church. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we'll have no reason not to bring folks to church. He also told her the Bible also commands us to tithe. That means 10% of all we receive belongs to the Lord and give offerings. That means, of and above the 10%, we are to support the gospel with our finances. We ought to read our Bible. We ought to spend time in prayer every day. We ought to come to prayer meetings. These are things that we should do because that's what an on-fire wise virgin does. Every on-fire wise virgin is in church on weekends, is tithing, is witnessing, is praying, is reading their Bible, is loving Jesus, an unwise wise virgin is somebody who's not indifferent to the commands and requirements of Jesus. Indifference means I go about my day and I don't care what God's requirements are. I know I've got to go to work and I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do the other thing, I've got to do the other. We don't even stop to ask Jesus what he wants to do today through us. Is there anybody who wants us to find to, to to love on? Is there anybody he wants us to talk to about salvation? Uh, is there anything he wants us to do? We're not even asking him. We just go about our day, work and business. Why? Because we're living for ourselves. He's not really Lord of our lives. To be Lord of our life means we are being led by the Spirit 24-7, always consulting our heart to see if what we're doing is permissible and if there's anything else He wants us to do. Romans 8.14 The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God means Jesus is Lord of our lives. To ignore the Holy Spirit's instruction or direction, or not even to consult Him during the day, is to live for ourselves. That is the latest in church age that's what's going on today we can be born again believe in him as our savior confess him as our lord but not allow him to be lord but that's the problem here that's the problem i have obvious i've often used the illustration of a glove to explain how this works so let's imagine now so this i'll explain that story again let's imagine now it's sunday I'm preaching with a glove on the pulpit. And uh, at the end of the service, I have a conversation with the glove. And I ask the glove, Are you truly holy? And he says to me, Well, yes, I could be out of the wrong crowd right now, but I'm not. I'm right there in church. And I'm listening to the word of God as you preach it. And I'm being good. I'm on the pulpit, right here in church. Okay, so he's not doing any bad stuff. Wonderful. He's not running with the wrong crowd. He's not doing all the stuff that people do that are bad. Wonderful. But holiness is more than that. There's things he should be doing that he's not doing. He should be on my hand so that my hand can work through him as my hand pleases. Then he would be wholly available to the hand. On the pulpit, he's not wholly available to the hand. You see family, we are the body of Christ. He's only got one body he can work through on the earth today. That's you and me. And we need to be listening to him, allowing him to use us as he chooses, all the time. You see the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. That means live for Jesus, let him be Lord. We are not our own. You see, family, you and I were bound for the fires of hell. And God was crucified on a cruel cross, shed his blood. God went to the fires of hell and suffered the punishment we should suffer. In order to redeem us, now he has ownership on us. We can go to hell and live our life the way we want to do it, or we can give our life away to Him and accept His salvation plan. And if we give our life to Him and accept what He's done for us, then we belong to Him, and we should be living for Him and not ourselves. According to one Corinthians six nineteen. All right, so He said that in the fifteen minutes He was dead, fifty went to heaven. 1,900 went to the fires of hell, did not go to heaven. There's only one, one place to go besides heaven. What does that mean? Well, 50 on 2,000 is 2.5%, two as he said. Let's just imagine, of the 8 billion people on the planet right now, that as many as 1 billion are born again. Uh, It might not be that high, but let's imagine it is 1 billion born again. I'm not talking about normal, nominal religious Christians. I'm talking about born again Christians. That would be 12.5% of the earth's population. Now Jesus said in that parable in Matthew 25, about the five wise and five foolish that In other words, that represented the church, the born-again church. The virgin represents the, is talking about the born-again Christian. Only half of the born-again Christians were ready for the rapture. That's what Jesus said in that verse when he comes. So today, two and a half percent of those that died went to heaven. Out of 12.5% 12.5% believers in the earth. That means two out of ten went to heaven. So if the rapture happened at that time, when that experience of his happened, that means two were wise, wise virgins and eight were not wise virgins, were foolish virgins, of the 100% Christian. We got it? So two were wise virgins, eight were not. So is that the reason why Jesus hasn't come yet? He's waiting for at least five out of ten to become wise virgins, whereas now we only have two. And what will cause the church to get fired up and come out of that latest sin, I don't care, in different attitude? and serve Jesus as Lord. What will happen to wake up the latest in church and make them into Philadelphia church Christians? Could it be the persecution that happens during the tribulation period, the first half of it? I hope not. I'm trusting God that our intercessory prayer And there are many wise virgins who are praying fervently, I'm trusting God that the intercession of the wise virgins will bring other Laodicean Christians into the fold of being a wise on fire Christian and follow Jesus as Lord of their life and be available to To be a soul winner, to be a tither, to be a church governor, Family, let's bow our heads. Let's obey our own hearts. There's nothing to be afraid of. If we read our Bible, if we pray daily, read to witness to everybody anywhere, make disciples, bring people to church, pray our tithes, give offerings, support the gospel of our finances, and, and and trust God for his salvation and not our good works. But we have good works because we want to please the Lord. That's the real motive. So, family, if that's our hard attitude, there's no way we're going to miss heaven. Remember the the two people that died with Jesus on the cross. Jesus said to the one, today, I say to you, today. You will be in paradise. And he went to heaven. He repented. So I believe any Christian that has a chance to repent and get right with God before he dies, God in his grace and mercy will accept him. But unfortunately, so many Laodicean Christians die suddenly. They don't get a chance to repent of their Laodicean behavior. That's why I'm saying this Walk uprightly before God and be on fire for God and stay faithful. And let's trust the Lord now by faith to keep us holy and faithful and trust God to work through us and let's be a glove on His hand. Let's commit to be that glove right now. Let's keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed and kindly say this prayer with me from the heart. Dear God in heaven, Thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross for me. I know He paid an awesome price. And now I owe you one. I owe you my life. Because you did that for me. I owe you everything. My all in all. And today I surrender my spirit, my heart, and my soul to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and by your grace and your ability I will continually follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and be available to do whatever He asks me to do whenever it is. I will not allow embarrassment to stop me. I will not allow the flesh to get in the way. I will make sure I hear Jesus say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to say to Jesus, I was too shy. I hid your talents in the ground. Here I am. I'm saved. I'm your child. I give you back what you gave me, not good enough. I want to show him fruit of my labor, my obedience to his instructions. Thank you, Jesus. I know from today, at the close of 2023, I am going to be a brand new, totally committed believer, that is on fire for Jesus. Praise God. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources,